there. My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Today I'm in the company of Ronnie Campbell at Tainult, close to Loch Etib, just outside the town of Auburn. Driving down to the lake shore at Erds Bay earlier, I couldn't help but think that if I didn't know different, I could quite easily have mistaken the lock for a fresh water body, when in actual fact it's a sea lock, or to be more precise, a fjord, which is defined as any deep high-latitude estuary which has been excavated or modified by land-based ice. And as we'll investigate in due course, the lock is also unique on a number of other fronts too. In overall length, it's approximately 20 miles from its head near Glencoe to the Connell Bridge, where it joins the Firth of Lawn via the spectacular Falls of Laura, which is the only two-way tidal falls in Europe. In addition to its narrow entrance at Connell, there's also a second narrowing at Bonor, which combines with it to create the lock's extraordinary tidal system, which not only gives a two-hour difference between high water at the entrance and Bonor, but also a different in actual rise and fall, which can be as little as two feet, say, at the head, as opposed to two metres down at the mouth. And as if this were not enough, the salt water it contains is overlaid by fresh water, allowing it to support both marine and freshwater species both at the same time. In angling terms, spur dogs dominate the fishing, with pollock, cod, pouting, poor cod, hake and gurnards also present to varying degrees. And as the freshwater influence starts to subside over the drier summer months, warmer water species, including mackerel, can also temporarily populate the loch. Ronnie, who I've fished with on a number of occasions over the years, not only lives along the shore of Loch Etib, but also moves his charter boat Laura Dawn there too, and as such has been instrumental in the development of sea angling throughout the Auburn area. Who better then to talk about this fascinating and unique ecosystem? But before we get into the fine detail here, perhaps you should tell us a bit about your own history, just to kick things off. Well, um, I was born and brought up here. Father and everything's worked here. Used to work as a, a builder in the area, various other jobs, till I decided to go into the, the fishing. Uh, it was about was it 18 years ago now, isn't it? And just, I like the area, stay here. It's the um, best place in the world, I think. Yeah, I was born and brought up. Been no more than 100 yards from the sea all my life. My grandfather lived here, my father lived here, and my great-grandfather lived here as far as well. So, yep, entirely here. And presumably, being so close to the water as a youngster, you would have done a bit of angling along the way. Since I was probably about eight or nine years old, started fishing. We were allowed down onto the pier at, near the house and we could do our own fishing. Just used to catch um, spur dogs off the shore. They had no problems at all with bits of muscle. So yeah, I fished all my life, but not a really a hugely enthusiastic angler. I didn't go to any angling clubs or anything like that, just mowing. And I could get the chance, I went for it. No temptation then ever to get into the commercial fishing? No, I did a wee bit, a wee bit commercial fishing, um, helping people out if they were stuck and needing an extra hand occasionally, but no, I was never involved in my own boat or anything like that. It was just a bit of, um, actually just pots, prawn pots, lobster pots and that sort of thing. So not, not into the commercial side of it. Then eventually into taking out charter parties? Yeah, the charter fishing... I mean, I've always been in boats. We always had boats. My father always had a boat and we used to spend all our holidays in boats going down the west of Scotland. So, And I used to do, still do, pilot work, ships piloting and used to lay moorings and things like that. So I was always involved with boats and boating and fishing and I thought, yeah, about give it a go. The building trade was getting a bit kind of sticky and it was hard getting money out of people and 
always fancied showed it, so went for it. And besides its physical beauty, it's also a very practical area once you get people coming up, because not only does the urban area have some of the biggest fish in Scottish, and for that matter British waters, but you also have good sheltered fallbacks, and are therefore usually able to get long travelling parties out somewhere at least. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's beautiful. The people that come out, I mean, most of my customers are from from England and a lot south of England, and they just love it up here because you can come up and generally get fishing because there's some bare shelter to go, but they like the scenery and sit back when they're out in the channel that's just sea, and here they can watch the bird life, eagles, even that close to shore you can see deer and things like that, so yeah, um, a lot of people just come up and they do love the scenery, as well as the fishing, so sit and relax. Having said that, I recall one particular visit when you warned us it wouldn't be too good out there, but we insisted you give it a try anyway, and you was absolutely right. The wind was literally howling down Loch Linney, sending waves rolling over the wheelhouse roof, though we were able to get out into Loch Etive the following day. don't remember that. can't remember. I've had to turn back before, because sometimes you have to go out kind of, to prove to people that it's too bad. They're sitting in an open bay and it's nice and sheltered, and then, well, can we not go? And so. <laughs> so sometimes you have to go to prove something. <laughs> back then we came up to fish the area with you because of your reputation with the common skate. I obviously don't know the full history of the species here, though I did hear they were plentiful once, then went into decline, and now they're back again big style. What's been your particular association in the sound of Mulford of Lawn area with these big common skate? Well, first of all, probably you're not right on the decline of the common skate in the open area, because they were never targeted. And so, until I started fishing for them, nobody knew they were there in the open area. As far as I'm aware, nobody knew it. Nobody had tried for it before. And so I think the open area was good. They weren't declining up Ullapool and off the Shetlands and down England and Wales and all that, where they were killing them all. But in open, nobody was fishing for them, so they weren't getting killed. So, But I think they are now on the decline in some areas, in, in particular open. I suspect that a lot of fish have been killed accidentally by very, very poor angling practices. And over the years, it's taken me a long time to figure out traces and things like that to use that have, to me, make it better on the fish. And if you lose a fish, less chance of the fish getting damaged. But I do think there's been casualties over the years with, especially particularly small boats, I think, in big, horrible hooks and nylon wire traces and things like that, totally unnecessary. But people are changing now and it's getting better, I think. People are starting to realise that there's a right way and a wrong way. And what's you and your boat's record like with catching these big fish? Um, the most I've had in one day was 16. Is that my personal or the boat's personal? Uh, the boat. boat I, most I've had 16 in one day. The biggest has been £229. Um, I've had a lot over the £200 mark. So, uh, some good fish. But, uh, I do know that there's other boats that are, well, one particular boat operates out of Woburn who definitely tells lies about sizes of fish. And that's a bit annoying and he's always getting bigger fish than me. <laughs> but we'll just have to live with that. People know, so it doesn't matter. Purely in terms of these big skate now, do you have a preference between the sound of mull and the Firth of Lawn? Oh, definitely the Firth of Lawn. Uh, yeah. That's what, the reason, I mean, there had been fishing for skate and sound of mull for a number of years before I started. Swinbanks was doing that, um, coming down into the sound of mull, and Davy Holt, another keen, enthusiastic angler, who was doing the sound of mull long before I started. But when I started to try the fifth alarm, then that's when the numbers went up, because it hadn't been fished before. So the very first trip I had in the 
fifth of Lorne, a two out the open open angling club. I used to do them for half price so that I could take them anywhere I wanted to go. <laughs> Worked quite well. I made seven skate in the first shot in the fifth of Lorne. That was a magic find, so that was it. And skate fishing kicked off then and not look back really. Speaking of Davy Holt, there's a weight estimation chart attributed to him and Bill Little that everybody uses, which I believe has been updated recently to give even greater accuracy. So who did actually draw up that chart? Because presumably, multiple fish in all the weight categories must have been caught, measured and weighed initially, which sounds to me like a monumental task. I would think that Davy Holt was probably the one guy that's, I would say, probably most involved now. I mean, he was so enthusiastic about it. So, And he was catching and weighing and measuring and keeping records of it all and doing it all correctly. So I think probably relying on Davy and uh, Brian Swinbanks as well, I think, because he was weighing and measuring too. So I don't know how long the chart took to get put together. And uh, it isn't that accurate. But it's good that we're all, like you say, singing off the same hymn sheet. That way it works. But there's definitely different sized fish, same as human beings I think can be the same width and length but there's some thicker ones and some might be long and narrow and I think you're, you can lose a bit of weight in that so. but it's pretty good and if everybody's working the same then it's, it's a fair system and it's easier on the fish as well Yeah, if the fish are getting back unscathed then that's the important thing Yeah, yeah if the fish are going back that's yeah, the important thing get back as quick as possible I actually took all of those weights and dimensions and plotted a best line of fit to them using regression analysis, which has the advantage of being able to project the line back to zero, hand on to a size bigger than it's possible for the species to grow to, to allow every conceivable size, including those outside the recorded parameters, to be estimated, on top of which it also gives a percentage of predicted accuracy, which in my case was around 98%. For me, this would be a far easier way of coming up with a working chart than having to physically catch every listed size of fish. I well, you can see, I mean, it is pretty accurate. I mean, you can't see, but I know that I've definitely picked up fish. Um, and quite a lot of small ones I can quickly weigh and get an estimate. And that's pretty good. You know, you get a £40 that it might come in at 38 on the, on the chart and it's £40 in the, or the other way around. But some I've put back when I used to have a board for lifting the back over the side of the boat. I've picked some up and thought... This is way heavier than what the chart's showing. But uh, there's nothing you can do about it. So, um, The smallest one I've seen is 1.12 ounces we've caught. But uh, if everybody's working, it's, it's good. It's a good system. Yeah. It does work. It's just a pity, really, that the Scottish Record Fish Committee won't accept either estimated weights or fish weighed on boats as a sensible conservation measure. No, they won't. But I can see the point because it's open to. I, I came across uh, a little. There's a group of guys come up from the, um, the east coast, down down about Newcastle direction, and they were fishing. I was going back out on an evening trip, and they were shouting on another radio. They got this huge skate alongside the boat, and they couldn't get it onto the boat. And I was heading out to where they were roughly anyway. So they said they'd measured it on the side of the boat, and it came out at 245 pounds. So I thought, you know, so along and said, look, do you want it? I'll take it aboard my boat and you can get photographs of it. And so we measured it in my boat and it was, on the chart, came out at £205. And they were using the chart as well. But they'd gone for 245 And because everybody in the other wee boats was all cheering, this is great. But it was totally mismeasured. So, so it would be open to far too much abuse, I think. The problem now is that it's illegal to bring common skate ashore for any reason, which in effect leaves these records hanging in limbo. Well, if you've got, like, about my size on a calm day, 
and they used to weigh them anyway. The, the record was weighed on the boat. This is the official Scottish record or British record. It was weighed on the boat, so you can do a rough estimate on the scales, you know, because it's usually moving. So you can still do it if you weigh it in the boat, mm-hmm. but you need to rig up some different sort of hoist, I think, for doing it. Is that acceptable now then in Scottish waters? It weighed on the boat is. As it stands, for a British record claim, they wouldn't accept it. But they are supposedly looking into it. But I'm not sure how far the Scots have got with the problem. No, well, I was told that they would allow it on the boat and then get your scales checked. Whether it would be allowed in everybody's boat, I don't know, but certainly they would have to allow it in everybody's boat. So, yeah, I was told that, but I, I, I wouldn't sort of swear on that, I don't know. Well, that sounds like a move in the right direction, at least. Yeah, but it was only the skate, though. But they might be doing it at the top now, too. So, what other kinds of fishing can you get in the sound of Mullum Firth of Lawn? Rays, blackmouth, spurs and spotted dogfish. Um, just thornbat rays, that's all. I've had a cup, couple of cuckoo rays, and that's all. Caught by the same guy on the same day. <laughs> Never seen one before or since. And we get conger eels, quite a lot of conger eels, up to about £50. Pounds. Uh, we get the odd hake out in the deep sea, and we get the odd big cod and ling out there as well. And if you're doing inshore fishing and you've got pollock and lots of wrasse and coalfish, not really a very big pollock. You can have, the biggest I've seen in my boat is £14. Pounds. Usually kind of six to eight pounds. That's kind of it out from out in the open sea. How much else really? The star of the show then is the common skate. Well, if it wasn't for the skate fishing off Oban, I would not be in the angling business. I would say that's a fact. Because, well, there's nothing else to come to Oban for fish-wise that's bigger than anywhere else in the country. And nobody will come up from down south to go pollock fishing in Oban. So... Yeah, skate fishing is what's bringing people here. And everything else that Oban offers, but skate fishing is definitely the, the one that keeps me in business. One place we haven't mentioned yet, and if I'm honest, the main reason why I wanted to talk to you is Locative. You have a house on its shores, and your boat is moored there. Now, biologically speaking, Etive is regarded as something of a special place. So tell us what's so special about it. Um, I think... Special about it, well, it's very unique, the lock itself, and it's very deep, very narrow. There's a variety of species in the loch that you don't get in the lochs north mm-hmm. or south of Lochetive. Um, there's a lot of fresh water on the surface in the loch, which is unique in any sea loch. And just a kind of vast variety of species that we actually don't get outside the loch, but you get them in the loch. If you didn't know any different, you'd think it was a freshwater lake or loch. Yeah, it wouldn't be. It's only 25 well, actually, shallow in that same. At one point, the low water is only about 14 foot of water, and so if the tide had gone out 14 foot, it would be a freshwater loch. So it's almost landlocked, but you've got the Fuzzalora, which is more like a river. Because it can flow in both directions, that too is a geographically special feature, which must have some effect on the fish that the loch contains. I don't know about the effect it has on the loch fish wise. The fish still come in, spur dogs definitely come in. The effect it has on the loch is that the tide. Inside, because it's so narrow, it's got a 20-mile stretch of water to fill up through a kind of 100-yard wide channel. The, the tide in Lochetive is two hours behind just out of Lochetive, so it never ever fills up to the same level as the outside does. So Lochetive is permanently two metres lower than Oban. It never ever fills up, except if we get a storm, and then that pushes up and then we get floods at the roads. But the, the loch is a big, big difference in, in the tide between... Lochetive and from Oban. 
I take it the loch is of glacial origin. Glacier loch, yeah. Uh, it seems a bit strange. I don't understand it myself fully. There must have been several glaciers formed it, but it was a glacier loch up until glacier receded about 11,000 years ago. Left that same deposit at the entrance, which is now North Cornell, and that's what's made it into a loch. The glacier pushed further out. The loch would be a well, it would be a, I suppose it'd be a channel rather than a loch, an open channel. So what does it connect into? Into the Firth of Lorne. Oh, so it's not Loch Linney? No, no, it's the same. You're not into Loch Linney just yet. It's the next bit up from the Firth of Lorne there. But it's all the same, same waters, you know, it's just allocating different names. And incredibly deep throughout the entire area here. Aye, shallow, out of Loch Etta, very shallow, and over towards the Smoor, but when you go south of Oban, very deep, and when you go out towards the Sound of Mull, up behind the Smoor, it's... 600 foot again, but shallow it's uh, kind of first five miles out clear of Lochetive. And inside the loch? Inside the loch, very deep, uh, up to 500 feet in the loch, nearly anyway. Um, north of Tenault, south of Tenault, well, east of Tenault anyway, it's, I think it's about 260 foot, it's a bit deepest there. It's very deep up the loch, but it, you can see if you go up the loch, about kind of five miles short of the top end, you can see a lovely, smooth, worn bit by the glacier. You can see it's just lovely curves in it. Rock's been torn away. What kind of bottom terrain has it got? The loch's just mud, mostly. Just really, really soft mud. I would think if it wasn't for the mud, the loch would be considerably deeper. You know, I think the solid rock's well below the mud. The sounder quite often doesn't work very well because the mud's so soft and anchor drags too easily through the really soft stuff. And that's why nobody trawls up there, because the trawl would just fill up the mud as well and just wreck the nets so nobody trawls that top end of the loch and are the saltwater fish species reasonably evenly distributed throughout the entire loch yeah apart from obviously reef hugging ones uh, the spur dog fish and rays yeah obviously the rays are looking for soft ground yeah you're, you have to move about to find them when you're going fishing but yeah you can be up the loch down the loch and have good times so yeah I would say they're pretty evenly spread out just got to find them when you're, when you're going out with the customers and are there areas, because of the depth, which perhaps you might not find fish living in? No, no, because they're catching good quality fish off the shore. You know, so I would think you would get them in 10 feet of water. When I was a kid, we were fishing in 2 or 3 feet of water and catching small dog fish. I'm thinking more here at the other end of the scale. No, no, no it's still there too, yeah, fish all over. But when you're fishing over the deep water, you can catch fish mid-water, kind of 200 foot, 300 foot down. There's herring in Lochative, so I think a lot of the whiting and that feed in the herring and then other fish feed in the whiting. Now you mentioned earlier that fresh water is part of what makes Lochative so unusual. A lot of it enters at the top end, which because of the density differential, floats over the salt water. But to what kind of depth and what effect, if any, does this have on the ecology? Well, the, the loch is a huge catchment area. It's got right up into Rannach Moor coming into Lochative, down the River Etive, and then you've got... We up Glenorchy, all that's a massive, massive catchment area of fresh water running into the loch through various rivers. And at the top end of the loch, I would think in heavy rain, this this year in particular with a lot of rain, you've probably had about 80 foot of fresh to brackish water before you hit the salt. And I've put scooped cups out of that and drank it, and it's just tastes like fresh water. So as further down your loch, if you go, the less brackish sorry, that the water gets, and by the time you get past Nilt, it's more salty, but up north or 
Easter to know it's can be very fresh when it's you know winter time this time of year. So the marine species enter a connell and stay deep. The migratory salmonid species won't initially mind either way, and the escapee rainbow trout from the fish farm cages can swim in the surface layers potentially all over the loch. Yeah, well, we get salmon. I don't know how the salmon fishing is doing at all. I haven't spoken to any for a long time about it, but we used to see salmon on a regular basis leaping. And you've got same sea trout. It's quite a popular place for fishing for sea trout from the shore and from boats close to shore. I think that's about all. But salmon fishing has definitely gone down. But that was a big, you know, a big lot of salmon. We used to see loads and loads of them just leaping. Do you find any brown trout as well in the fresher upper reaches close to the river mouths? I don't think so, no. I mean, they're in the rivers, eh, but I don't think you'll catch the sort of true brown trout in the loch, but possibly you could up at the very head of the loch where the river goes in. I haven't heard about that. To one extent, then, are escapee rainbow trout a problem? I don't think escapees cause any problems in Lochetif. There's no, no fish to breed with, to mix in with. The problem is they can go up the river Aw in particular and go into Loch Aw, and then the problems arise there. So I don't believe that escapees do any harm in Lochetive itself. And when they do escape, there's loads of people out fishing for them and catching So I, I can't see any effect in Lochetive. There's nothing for them to mix in with or interfere with, I would think. What about the cages themselves? Are missed pellets, for example, falling through the mesh during what are intense heavy bouts of feeding having any effect on the growth rates and distribution of marine species inside the loch? Well, I don't know the answer to the to the what's happening right at the bottom of the cages, right below them. A lot of the cages here are in quite a kind of strong tide. There's bound to be some sort of effect below, but I know that a lot of the fish that live in the loch want to hang about the cages, and so the wee boats can go in there and get some good quality fish off the cages. So it's not doing any harm that way. What harm is doing on the bottom, I don't know. I really don't know, but it's mostly mud down there anyway. The other big question has to be, why with the force of water and relative shallows at the falls of Laura, do you think marine species would ever want to enter the loch in the first place? I don't think there's many different species of fish are traversing that. I think it's mostly salmon and uh, spur dog fish. We know that there's big females come in here a certain time of year and having the pups and I think going straight back out again. So I kind of suspect it's only spur dog fish really that are coming through there. When they come through... I would imagine they're trying to go through when the tide's right. Um, but they must go right up the loch because when the young ones are getting caught, we get tiny wee ones right at the very head of the loch. So they must go just, go the full length. But we get a lot of them, the big females, August, September, that are in pup. And, and I think they disappear, they have the pups in the loch. Why they come in, no idea. I don't like to speculate at all on what the reason they have to come here to do it. You don't get them in Loch Crayon, you don't get them in Loch Fook and the two lochs north and south of Loch Etif. So why pick Loch Etif? No, no. And do they only enter and exit on certain heights or strengths of tide? It depends on the boat. I can go in and out any time I want. No, I mean the fish themselves. Well, the fish, sorry. The fish, um, I don't know. <laughs> You'd imagine they would wait till the tide was going the right direction and go in with it, but nobody's been there to, to watch for that, I wouldn't think. Do you think, then, that other than migratory salmonids and the big female spurs coming in with a specific task in mind, the majority of fish inside Loch Etive, with all the potential population problems that can bring, might actually turn out to be residents? Yeah, I think Loch Etive has got its own resident population of everything that's in the loch. Just now, uh, I don't see that there's any reason for anything else to be moving about. 
why the spurred dogfish don't know. We used to have hake in the loch. I have not caught a hake in three years. And I think we've actually fished the population out. I really do. I sent two heads off to the marine lab to try and get an age in it. And the ortholith or whatever it's called is, was too overgrown. Too, they couldn't get an age. So they must have been really old fish. So why, where the hake came from, no idea. We've caught only females and no small ones. So why is that? And I think the population of big hake we had in Loch has probably gone. And they weren't breeding. For whatever reason, they weren't breeding. And we're talking very big, 20 pound plus fish here at times. A Scottish record, yeah. Uh-huh. But the British record still stands in, in the loch. 25 pound, 12 ounce, I think it is. But uh, I think we fished them out. The few that we've caught, well, there was very few in the loch in the first place. Uh, that's a bit of a mystery as to why it's possibly only females. And they've gone in there, grown to a great size and been fished out or died off. Another interesting fish I've heard rumours about in Etive are common skate. It's only rumours. <laughs> only rumours. We caught a skate when I first started, so the skate was getting kind of on all the papers and magazines because it was suddenly we were getting big, big fish. And there was a local paper, a local Open Times, printed a photograph of a local guy who'd got a 150-pound skate and they said it was caught in Loch Etive. And that's rumours went round from there on that there was skate in Loch Etive. Um, and that wasn't caught in Lochetive, and I've never seen a skate, only Thornback rays. Uh, not even any other rays, just, just only Thornback. Don't know why, no idea why that's, but no skate in Lochetive. What then, in your opinion, is a definitive species list for Lochetive? Do you want me to list them all? Well, <laughs> you remember the main ones. Well, the main ones are spur dogfish, spotted dogfish, Thornback rays, whiting, you get pouting and poor cod. We've got uh, tadpole fish, you heard of them? Pollock, coalfish, mackerel, obviously, herring. We've got quite a lot of, um, well, it depends what you call them. People call them scorpion fish. I think the proper name is father lashers. We've also got um, gunners, the grey gunners, but I've had two tub gunners in the loch. Ling, cod, can't think of any others. Probably missed something there. And the freshwater, like rainbow trout as well. as You can't catch salmon in the loch, but you can catch rainbow trout. And, sorry, sorry, sea trout. Can't think of any other species. And is there a gradient, certainly in marine fish numbers and possibly in species diversity too, as you get further into the loch away from the sea? Uh, no. Obviously when you get to the real fresh water then you've you're losing a lot of them, you know, when you get right to the top of the loch. But no, it's it's I think it's just pretty even. I think ah, I would say it's pretty although the deep water does fish better midwater? You can get a lot of good fish midwater, but apart from that, I think everything's spread pretty much evenly over th- over the length of the loch. What then is your typical sea angling approach when boat fishing the loch? Well, we just generally just drop anchor, look for bits that over the years you find bits that do fish, but they don't always fish, and you just go and find a spot and. You're hoping that lots of baits will attract. I tend to wait. I don't move kind of maybe an hour or something like that and nothing happens then and it's time to be thinking about moving. But once we start catching fish, I really like to stay there until we stop catching uh, and then move on if, if that happens. But just now, it's, we're struggling more. Having to hunt about more now than we used to have to get the fish. And presumably, on account of the depth coupled to the muddy bottom, it might make sense to fish a braided line. Most of the guys now use braided line, yeah. 
Yeah, it does work, it does help, except when you get tangles. But yeah, braid's, braid is good for that sort of thing, especially in the lock. And what about the end tackle? Because I vaguely remember being over some very deep water out with you once when a couple of the lads on board had luminous hawk eyes, while the rest of us didn't. And using the shared bait source, the luminous tractors caught far and away the most fish. Yeah, yeah. Every so often somebody will prove you wrong and get a big fish in a, on a beer hook. But yeah, you, you want some brightness and colour about the about the hook. I quite like the sort of fluorescent green. quite like that. It's a, a fish with that myself. And that does produce some good fish. And what about the choice of actual bait going onto the hooks? Mackerel's as good as any. Mackerel and squid's are a good combination. People do fish with sand eels and louis and lots of other different type things, but I think if you went through it all, I think basically mackerel is as good as any. Good fresh mackerel. Change the baits often. Squid okay as well? Squid's okay, yeah. Ah, it's been nice fish. Even using whiting's quite good. I quite like whiting for bait. You catch some whiting if they're being blown, then you can use them for bait. No, I like that. Yeah, good for the rays. Any other tackle tips? Well... Going back to trying to conserve the fish in locative, all the time I now fish with no barbs on my hooks and I have not lost any fish. If it's done right, no barbs and you keep the fish on. If you fish wrong, you're likely to lose it. If you're pumping fish and that, they come off. But I've not lost any fish because of no barbs in it. You can tie the bait on, you can put the bait on with rubber bands and maybe it's an opportunity in locative is to say, try and encourage people not to use barbed hooks for any fishing. You can see the point with the pollock out from Oban it might be more difficult but uh, in the lock it might be a chance to people try it out see how they go on, maybe debarb two hooks and leave one hook on the barbs and see how the success rate is and try it out themselves but I don't use barbs in my hooks and locative at all The problem with barbless hooks, though less so with flattened down barbs, is that they tend not to hold the bait too well particularly if it's just nicked on or cast away such as when uptiding, though in these depths casting shouldn't be an issue here and for that reason alone, not everyone, and particularly those fishing from private boats, are going to bother using them. So what about other alternatives such as circle hooks? I'm not sure yet. The guys have been using them and we've had trouble getting the hooks back out of the fish because it's difficult to turn the hook right around because it, the shank ends up back in against the side of the fish. So it's a wee bit more awkward to get it out. Can't honestly say whether there's a success in that they're always hooking in the mouth. I haven't seen any deep hooked ones anyway, that's for sure. But most of the guys, are, most of the dogfish we catch are not deep-hooked. Lads are paying attention, they usually get them right. But circle hooks with no barbs, it's worth a shot. So you feel then that something as basic as hook choice can actually make a significant difference to population numbers here? Well, hooked, well, barbs could make a difference, I don't know, but certainly your hook would come back out a lot cleaner and there'd be less damage to fish. A lot of damage gets done to fish. So, yeah, no barbs and the, the bait tied on... It's a good chance of maybe helping the fish population in Lochave. Some of the fish, as you say, feed in mid-water. But does anyone have a fish for them there? And if so, at what depth do you place your baits and why? Yeah, I fish for the mid-water. I like mid-water. Um, and a lot of the customers do. I drop down 60 seconds in the deep water. They count 60 seconds long. Usually you start hitting fish there. But once you've caught them... In one spot, you can use your level wind to count, you know, just how many times that goes back and forth. And of course, you've got a lot of um, line counters as well. Although they're not accurate, it doesn't matter what it says as long as you go back to the same depth. But it's usually it is about midwater, and I've had some my biggest cod midwater, some really good whiting and that. Goldfish, even pollock midwater in the loch, in over 400 feet of water, you catch some pollock midwater. But it's just a case of dropping down slowly to start with. 
yeah, mm. just take your time, see where the bites are in. I must admit that it's not something I've ever done, and for that reason I'd be hesitant, forever wondering if I was in the right spot and waiting, or completely wasting my time. Well, there's, I mean, there's plenty of guys, in fact, I'm pretty sure a guy won a competition on Sunday, midwater fishing. He won the competition and I'm pretty sure he was, he was down and back awful quick, I wasn't really paying that much attention, so, and he was doing it on waiting, and he pulled the points in the waiting. Uh, they weren't very big fish. I think you get better quality on the bottom, more chance of getting bigger spurs, obviously rays as well, but uh, mid-water for something to eat, which I like, you know, taking odd big whiting, uh, is better. What would be your starting depth, and what size of searching increments would you follow that up with? Starting depth would be generally trying to get below whatever fresh water is, depends whether it's summer or the winter, but I think you wouldn't be start, I wouldn't be start fishing less than maybe 80 foot down and then work your way down below that. But there seems to be a gap between the kind of 200 foot and then the bottom, see you're fishing at 400 foot of water. You'll get fish about the 200, 250 foot, maybe a bit shallower, and then there's a gap between that and the bottom. So there must be some thermocline, some temperature change, something that's holding feet in that mid-water bracket. Don't know what it'd be. Not exactly your regular British way of doing things. No. No. The marine lab that do the been studying the law for thirty odd years, they reckon some of that water up there hasn't changed in you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. It's the same water that's in the loch because of the way the tide flows over the top of it. The, the deep water in the in the big holes is not moving. But they're still fishing it. Still getting option. It's a very unique loch. Very unique. Now I think it's fair to say that the fish which Loch Etive is probably best known for is the spur dog. That said, I hear that numbers are currently on the wane. What light can you shed on this? Yeah, numbers are down. More to the quality is down. We do. When I started, we would be guaranteed to get fish in the 10 to 15 pound mark on every trip. Not every fish, but every trip. When the first the little boats started going out, the higher boats got their out, and people were just slaughtering them just for the sake of killing them. And that was the big fish they were after. So the quality of fish has gone well down. Numbers are still sort of okay, but much, much smaller than they used to be, and I think it's purely down to bad fishing, overfishing and bad fishing, I think. Plus the fact that for the most part it is a discreet resident population. Yeah, it's going to affect it there, the log, yep. Um, the the ones that come in, the females that come in to have their pups, I think, leave. They don't stay in. They just go way back out again. So they are not there to keep a sizable sort of catch of fish in the loch. What time of year do the migratory females come in? Think about August, September. I think it seems to be about then. Um, that's when we see, you're hoping to get some bigger. We've had kind of 16, 18, even 20 pounders then. Good quality fish, but they disappear. So to get a big spur these days, it would have to be one of the pregnant females, which really isn't what you want to be doing if you can help it. Yeah, you can still get some good quality fish, but basically if you're fishing in the loch for the the loch fish, if you want to see it that way, uh, the biggest we're sort of seeing just now is kind of seven, eight pounds. Yeah, and that's good quality, whereas you'd be looking at good quality being 14, 15 pounds. On top of this, there have been suggestions that the spurs inside the loch are physically and possibly even genetically different to those outside. Yeah, and some people are taking some DNA to try and find out, not heard the results. They're definitely a different colour. Uh, that's the only difference. They're darker fish all round. 
and I think they are locative fish, born and brought up, um, or born and bred, however you put it. But nobody's proved it yet. Only DNA would work, and people have taken DNA samples away, and I've not heard anything back, so can't prove it. So on top of the migratory females coming into pup, the resident population are also breeding, potentially setting up two separate gene pools. Well, no, the, the resident population are definitely breeding because we've had pregnant females that are the darker colour and you know the, their bellies are quite dark in them. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely breeding fish in the loch. So if these people in the past have been killing all the big females, which are the, they are the biggest fish, they are wiping out the resident population of spud dogs and that'll probably be getting topped up by the ones that come in but whether these pups that are laid in locative stay I don't know either whether they go back out and follow their parents I have no idea. Potentially then some healthy genetic variation is being made available but still the species could be under threat. In locative yes I have to say it's um, well I've noticed a huge difference so it has to be uh, and I, I think it's just purely down to the same as the skate, overfishing and bad fishing, bad practice. Which feeds me very nicely into my next question, which is that as both an angler and a resident, I understand that you're not happy regarding the current situation with the lock. What then do you see as being the nub of the problem? Well, I think it's just so many people fishing it. And OK, most people are doing catch and release but there's been a lot of tagging going on, and I don't know whether you have touched on the tagathon thing, but I have not been in agreement to the tagathon. There's been very, very few tags returned, and I have been tagging loads of fish on my boat with scientists, not me tagging personally, but scientists in the boat, in the loch, hundreds of fish, and I've only recaptured two or three. So I don't know what's happening to these fish. If you're catching them, bringing them up through the freshwater, is that killing them as well? have got to come up through that freshwater and they don't like fresh water, so you pull them up maybe 80 foot of brackish water and then they've got to swim back down through that again to get down. Is that doing any harm? It kills the prawns. If you pull the prawns up through that with the pots, it kills them. Can't sell the prawns that are caught locative away. You've got to go to a local market, otherwise they die. So is that harming the spur dogfish? I can't agree to the tagathon. I just find it's just not quite... It's a big show with a lot of people too, you know, they're all up the boys out and doing all this catching and that. And, yeah. Until somebody can prove something a bit different, I'm not, not up for it at all. We currently have a similar project tagging Thornback Rays in the River Mersey, where possibly for different reasons tag returns have been particularly sparse. It could be down to apathy amongst anglers, or perhaps even that the population is so big that the fish carrying tags have become lost in the crowd. But that clearly isn't the case here at Loch Etive. You would think it wasn't the case in Loch Etive, yeah, because we're, we're struggling to find fish. So yes, so you would think the population is not that big, that we're going to lose all these tagged fish to be swimming about in the loch and not getting caught. Um, I've also, one of the other arguments I have against the tagathon, but I think they're doing better now, is how the fish were tagged. I've had uh, fish tagged in all the weirdest of places, skate and the, right in the body and that. A ray tagged in the spine, you know, so they're out all this big show of catching fish, but in the past, nobody getting actually taught what to do, so they're just going out and giving the tags and a cannula and on you go, and a lot of people just didn't know how to use that, 
so I was definitely not getting used right. So I still, I think it's better, and I think the guys I've been speaking to are really all right leaflets, code of practice is what to do and all that. So I'm a bit more comfortable about it now than what I used to be, but still not just sure if it's the right thing. Because of the fresh water floating there at the top? Well, that would be locative. It wouldn't affect you in Loxunert. I mean, I don't know how many returns they're getting from Loxunert. Are these fish getting damaged by just actually catching them? You know, they're swimming away. You put them in the water and they swim away, but who knows what's happening after that. Uh, I would think Lochsunut's probably a safer place to do it than Lochetif, given the chance, to, the fish a chance of surviving, because it's pure salt water up there. But I don't know. Accepting that there is a problem, what do you think, then, is the answer? You'd have to stop fishing. Especially Lochetif. You'd have to say you can't fish it anymore. That'd be the only way, because you can't not target spur dogfish. If you're fishing for anything, you're going to catch spur dogfish at the same time. So you'd have to ban, completely ban fishing, and that wouldn't go down very well. I can't see any other way. Actually, I mean, I no idea. can't see any other way. don't think that will happen. It's very difficult to ban fishing, but it could be. Ultimately, then, I suppose it could just end up banning itself as catch rates dwindle and people simply stop coming. Yeah, that can happen too. The numbers go down and people get fed up. But you'll always get people want just to go up and have a wee troll about the lock in a boat, and especially Lochetta when it's so sheltered and, and pretty that uh, they'll be fishing anyway and not for a day out. And it may be a wee way to recover because maybe the big fish that were getting killed in the past, people now know not to do that. As they're slow growing, maybe it's going to recover slowly on its own with better practice of fishing you know but we have to wait for that we have to wait for that producing such small numbers of pups every 22 months certainly doesn't help either no we've got five or six pups it depends how many are coming in certainly we've sometimes caught hundreds of big pregnant females down the lock in the saltwater part so they've got a far better chance of going back I haven't heard any results from stuff we did. We were caught with scientists out, we were tagging them and putting sonar stuff inside them, stitched inside them, opened the fish up. And there was sort of acoustic stuff set up on boys out from Locative and they were going to try and record what went backwards and forwards, but I haven't heard any results from that yet. No, I've not. Um, I believe the Scottish Sea Angling Conservation Network fitted a couple of acoustic tag listening devices to the entrance at Connell for just that purpose. Well, one's disappeared at the... There's one, I took the boy out to one day and he just downloaded the stuff off it, but I never heard anything back, so uh, I don't know whether that's been a success or not. From an angling point of view, another way in which Lochetid is unique is in the degree of shelter it provides, particularly for small boats and kayaks, which are able to get afloat more frequently than elsewhere, thereby piling more pressure still onto what appears to be finite and dwindling fish numbers. Yeah, you're 100% right. It's just a perfect spot for fishing, and uh, it's got everything going for it. I, I kind of feel partly responsible for the whole mess that, that it's going to because if I hadn't started the England trips, the lock wouldn't have been quite as famous as it is now. And uh, brought all these people in because there's small boat charters and all that. And, and it, it, now lots of people have got their own high-powered speedboats and they're in here. And no matter how careful somebody is with fish, there's going to be casualties. Uh, all, all the time there's going to be casualties. So slowly but surely that will have an effect. But... If they're all going back, which they weren't beforehand, then maybe they'll start to pick up again. Maybe these big ones will come back, but again, like I say, that'll take time. That will take time. So how do you see the future going? 
I don't know because, like I'm saying, maybe these big fish are getting a chance. Uh, the way I see the future for locatives is now is not good. That's what I'm thinking. Although we're still catching quite a lot of spurs when we get into them, we are getting them, but they're much much smaller. So it may be it's got a chance of recovering if everybody continues to fish, you know, carefully for them. There'll still be casualties, but maybe we'll get the big ones back. And for the other species too, which I suppose are less vulnerable because of the different breeding strategies. Um, whiting, I think whiting have, they've gone down as well, uh, which is a bit of a surprise because if there's less spurs, do you think the whiting would get a better chance? But they're getting caught a lot as well, and of course they don't survive coming up from much more than 100, 100 foot of water. So they are, I think, there's less whiting. There's some good quality ones. The thornbird rays, for some reason, are, are on the up. We're getting far more rays now. And we've had days out there when we've had 30, 40 rays, which we couldn't do before. But whether that's because there's less spurs and the rays are getting a wee bit more time to get to the bait before the spur dogs get there or the spotties. But definitely the bigger numbers of rays getting caught. So maybe they're getting more chance of the food. If there's less spurs, we might be getting a better chance of getting food. And how does it rate as a rainbow trout fishery? <laughs> well, when there's an escape, when there's a, which hasn't happened for a while, I've not gone for it, but yeah, there's plenty of people out, and the, they, they come into the shallows and people catch them. Some big big fish have been escaping bass. But that hasn't happened for a while. Uh, but most of them head up Lochetev. Up, sorry, up Lochaw, and into the River Raw. And last big escape, and they, they allowed everybody to fish on the loch, on the river, for free and to kill every trout they caught to, to get it stopped, get them, try and stop and get out into Loch Hall. Don't know whether it worked or not, but it certainly was, you know, it was, it was worth doing. What kinds of numbers can we be talking about here from these mass escapes? It's thousands. <laughs> but I don't know, well, it's not tens of thousands, but it's probably thousands. And It depends what size they are, it depends. But, I mean, some people are doing it on purpose, but the, the big cages, I would think, you may be talking about two or three, four hundred fish in a big, in, with a big fish. And then, you know, the smaller ones, it's obviously more. But uh, it doesn't happen very often, Lochedif. But it does happen. And what's the future for Ronnie Campbell? <laughs> Fishing-wise, I might stick to my stonework. Um, I, I'm feeling guilty about a lot of stuff to do with fishing. Skate, one thing, I'm kind of thinking, if I hadn't started the skate version as well, it would be undisturbed. But probably somebody else would have come on. If nobody else was doing fishing in Oban before I did it, eh, there's other boats come and going, but I do feel guilty about possible damage that's happened to the fishing in this area because I started it. But I'll probably keep going <laughs> and try and teach people how to do it right. That's the big thing that has been fighting with, is actually kind of showing people what I think is the right way. And Davy Holt, to go back to again, he and I both came up with a very similar system for fishing for the skate without discussing it with one another to try and protect the skate and it, it's to me it works a good system, one hook, barbless hook, nylon line kind of own boom setup that I've come up with and uh, the whole lot's good so I'm quite happy in myself what I'm doing if I'm catching fish that I'm looking after them and that they're going back quickly and I've uh, very, very few deep hook fish. I've got a special discorder that a guy made for me that really works well for getting 
hooks out having no barbs it's a lot easier but not everybody's doing that other people are still sticking to the old way so there's really not much point in me giving up because I don't like it because I think I'm still doing it right some people might argue about that I mean. <laughs> I'm going to take it from that that you'll be concentrating your efforts more in the sound of Mullenford of Lawn as opposed to Lochettive I generally have been anyway uh, so we still do the competitions in the loch in the winter time but I try and keep out of the loch as much as possible uh, especially in the summer time I try and stay out of the loch and go look for smaller fish With if you're doing tourists most people will want to fish out, out for the ski anyway but if I've got tourist runs and I still try and go and just go macro fishing and that and just stay away from the loch as much as possible to give it a chance I think every little bit will help Sort of protect it. Yeah, and when you're on the boat yourself, you know, you can look after the fish, but when people are on their own wee boats, they're not just quite so caring. Not everybody would be that, but I'm sure a lot of people are. It looks to me very much that the future of the fish and the fishing inside Lochettive is down to the people who ought to care the most, that being the anglers themselves. So would it not make sense then for warnings to be put out in the form of literature handed to all who fish from hired or chartered boats and for signs to be put up at the major launching sites for the private dinghies and kayaks? With the odd exception, anglers are usually fairly responsible people, particularly when it's in their own best interest to be so. My thanks then to Ronnie Campbell for bringing all of this to our attention here. (laughs) 